was 2017. I had heard about this thing called the St. Andrew's Christmas Novena, which, let's be honest, a little bit of a misnomer given that you pray it for 25 days instead of the nine typical of the Novena. And you also say this small and beautiful prayer 15 times a day. But I had heard that it was a great prayer to pray with a big intention, and I had a big intention. And so I set the prayer as the lock screen on my phone, and I prayed it every day for 25 days, 15 times a day. So the Novena wraps up around Christmas, and I was expectant. Like, this was it. That was the perfect prayer for this big intention. But Christmas came, and Christmas went, and my prayer did not get answered. What do we do when God says no to our prayers? Hey there. Welcome to Letters to Women. It is a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily lives as Catholic women. In other words, what does life fully alive as a woman today mean for you? My name is Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I am sitting down with Christy Wilkins. When Christy prayed for the total healing of her son, Oscar, who is plagued by mysterious seizures, she did not hear Jesus telling her that he would grant her miracle. Instead, he told her, this is your cross. I'm not going to take it away from you. I'll be with you. And I will help you, but it is yours to carry. Needless to say, not the words that she wanted to hear, not the words that she would choose. Almost a year after hearing those words and prayer, she made the trek to Lourdes, France with her husband and Oscar seeking a miracle. What do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers and when he says no to what we're asking him for? Or he doesn't intervene in a situation that we're begging him to step into. Christy's unanswered prayers healed her family and restored her faith. And I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. If you're praying and praying and praying for something, but God is not answering that prayer in the way that you expect or the way that you want, sister, this letter is for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Lovely Lady Linens, a Catholic women-owned company that designs and curates hand-blocked home textiles inspired by the Blessed Mother. Lovely Lady Linens' goal is to inspire wives and mothers to create a beautiful space where we raise and nurture our families. And a portion of all proceeds goes to benefit a Catholic classic liberal arts high school in Africa. I have a set of four Madonna napkins that I've been using not only for hosting holiday dinners around our dinner table, but also just pulling out for dinner when it's the four of us here at home or tucking them into Joseph's lunchbox, using them with my morning coffee, even if it's just an ordinary Monday morning. Head over to lovelyladylinens.com and use the code LTW15 to save 15% off at checkout. So whether you're picking up napkins or a quilt to cozy up with around the fire this holiday season, Lovely Lady Linens products are the perfect way to remind you of the joy and beauty that you can cultivate in the sacred walls of your own home. Follow them on Instagram at lovely underscore lady underscore linens. Now let's dive into this conversation with Christy. Today, I'm welcoming to the podcast, Christy Wilkins, who is a writer for catholicmom.com. Blessed is she and accepting the gift. She is a dame with the Order of Malta, which she joined after a pilgrimage to Lourdes with her husband, Todd, and their youngest son, Oscar, a trip that was sponsored by the organization. She is a lector and a catechist at her parish, and she's currently pursuing a bachelor's degree in nursing. She lives with her husband and their six children in Austin, Texas. Christy, welcome to Letters to Women. I'm so excited for tonight's conversation with you. Thank you. I am also very excited. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some big topics, what to do when God says no to our prayers, as well as how to ask for help from the body of Christ and drawing on our lady's faith in times where our faith is not equal to the situation that the Lord is inviting us into. We're going to dive deeper into those topics. But to start us off, Christy, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Like uh, like it is for a lot of us, it's complicated. Um, but in many ways, I think it's really common. I was a cradle Catholic. I fell away in my teen years, and then I reverted as a young adult. 
So um, my husband actually converted at the same time and we were confirmed together while I was pregnant with our first child. So I'm actually uh, really grateful to my parents for giving me that space to explore and question and push back. And I'm really, really grateful that the Good Shepherd never stopped pursuing me and that he somehow managed to snag my husband at the same time. (laughs) That was a miracle. Mary has been really instrumental in this new adult version of my faith. Her example has really helped me to deepen my understanding of what it means to be Catholic and a mother and a wife and just a woman. So even after my reversion, which was at age 25, there's been this kind of longer, slower process of a deepening conversion. And Mary has been a huge, huge part of that for me all along. At first, you know, she was like a model of perfect holiness. And that's a pretty high bar. (laughs) It can even be a little discouraging if that's what you're aiming at and you're a new convert. But these days, she's more a model for me about how to live a life that is messy and full of unexpected sorrow and not easy, but still really beautiful and full of providence and God's love. So um, as a full-grown Catholic woman, I feel like my story has been about learning to trust God in that tension and leaning a lot on Mary to teach me how to do that. And what a perfect way to enter into Advent too, like the season where we can really enter into really deep relationship with Our Lady in this this season of the liturgical year. So you have recently written a book called Awakening at Lourdes, How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith. I would love to hear about what inspired you to write that book and then what listeners will find when they open up the pages. I started writing the book before I knew that it was going to be a book. Um, My husband and I, as you mentioned, uh, we have six children. And when our youngest child, Oscar, was five months old, he began having seizures. He'd been completely typically developing before that point. So at first it didn't seem that serious. Even the neurologists kind of downplayed it. But over the course of a few weeks and the months that followed, it became pretty serious indeed. I began writing blog posts as a way to kind of help myself process my feelings around it. Um, and especially to process the crisis of faith that eventually ensued. So I started turning it into an actual book after Oscar, my husband, and I took that pilgrimage to Lourdes that you mentioned. And we experienced a lot of miraculous healing there, but it just wasn't the healing that I had been begging for (laughs) for a year. So my hope in writing the book was to offer our story, um, you know, our our story of healing, but also our story of not getting the healing that we really wanted um, as a witness to anyone who finds themselves suffering or in a hard place. And especially for the people who find themselves surprised that the faith they thought was really solid actually isn't quite up to the challenge in those tough moments. Yeah, I was sharing with you before we started that there's a line in the introduction about finding finding yourself as you're reading this book or seeing yourself as you and your family are processing through the answer to an unanswered prayer that was that was unexpected. And it was really beautiful to, to see you share about your story and your family and your marriage and your son's yeah experience with, with seizures and be able to find myself, even though my story details are completely different than yours. But I think this experience of an unanswered prayer is something that is very, very common in our lives as Catholic women. Right. And I I tried very hard. You know, at first I thought I was writing a book about Oscar's miracle, because as I said, he really did experience some miraculous healing. And that was my motivation at first. But as I entered more deeply into the story, I realized it was a bigger story than that. And I wanted I didn't want it to be a book about disability parenting. I didn't want it to be a book about a healing miracle. I wanted it to be about the larger picture of everything else that happened around the miraculous healing that Oscar experienced, which which wasn't complete. It wasn't the healing that we were asking for. And I think that's an important piece too. Yes. 
Okay, so let's dive into a couple of different aspects of things that you've mentioned kind of in this kind of bird's eye view. So a few months after Oscar experienced his first seizure, you find yourself in adoration and you're asking Jesus to make all of Oscar's seizures to go away, that complete healing, praying that your son, you write this, could, could be made whole again. So you write that Jesus answered you, but not in a way that you expected. And you write that he shared with you, this is your cross and I'm not going to take it away from you. I will be with you and I will help you, but it is yours to carry. When God says no to our prayers, it's because he has something different and better in mind. Um, But to say that it is challenging when his will and our will are mismatched is pretty much an understatement. (laughs) How can we surrender our plans and the answers that we have in mind for our prayers and work on letting go of control in our lives as Catholic women? My big picture answer to that question is that it's really important to see that we don't have to understand God's will or even like it to surrender to it. (laughs) So that's the first really important thing. I think it's actually possible to surrender very grudgingly and, and he can work with that, even if it's not his ideal, right? That moment in the Adoration Chapel and I always feel a little bit like a crazy person when when I start talking to someone about this story because it literally like it was fully formed sentences in my head that were not my words. Um, it was so clearly not my voice, not my words, not everyone I would have wanted anyone to say to me. So that moment was honestly one of the hardest moments of my entire life. It was even harder than witnessing Oscar's first seizure. And, and he had that seizure like on my lap in my arms. It just felt like a door had been slammed in my face. Like, couldn't you just let me pretend to believe that he might get better? Like, did you have to just say no? Why? That was cruel. And honestly, my faith collapsed in that single moment. It was like a light went out. So we don't have to, you know, like God's answer in order to cooperate with it. I, I still don't really understand to this day why God didn't choose to make Oscar's life or our lives with him turn out some other way. Um, I think he gave me that no, because he knew that I couldn't move forward to become the mother that Oscar needed, as long as I was stuck on this one thing that I wanted. And God already knew that Oscar was fine. Um, It was going to take me a lot longer (laughs) to learn that. But, you know, even as earthly parents, sometimes we have to give our kids the hard no, even though it hurts them to hear it. So I, I feel like after our pilgrimage experience and with the years of practice that I've had since then, I've reached a point where I can where I'm better at saying, okay, if this is what you want, then so do I. And I borrowed that quote from Blessed Cara Badano, who was um, a blessed who died of bone cancer at age 18. And it's really become a prayer mantra for me, um, especially during this last year. It's been a really difficult year for our family. And so I've just been trying to repeat over and over again, whatever you want, Jesus. Okay, I'm here. This is what we're doing today. And and he'll take even that half-hearted surrender. So if you feel like your faith is faltering in that moment, it's really important not to cut that final thread that's keeping you tethered, like that last little shred of faith, because your words and your actions matter even when your heart isn't completely in it. And to this reminder, what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily just a one and done. All right, Lord, I surrender it to you. Here it is. Mm-hmm. But it's also mm-hmm. that over and over at least this has been my experience in prayer, the prayers that have not gotten answered either in the way that I expected or as fast as I want them to, where it's, gosh, I feel like I just surrendered this to you, Lord, yesterday, but here I am. And I'm going <laughs> to, I have to surrender it again. Dang it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the things you think you're done with aren't ever quite done with you. <laughs> Amen. They keep coming back. <laughs> um, you know, one other thing that's helped a lot is to substitute other kinds of prayer um, in place of the the petitionary prayer that you're asking. I, in the book, I refer to that prayer of 
um, the prayer I prayed for Oscar's healing as like the one prayer to rule them all. And so it really helped when I tried to, to substitute something else in its place. So like the Te Deum is a beautiful prayer of adoration. The act of contrition is a beautiful prayer of repentance. Um, the canticle of Daniel is a beautiful prayer of gratitude. So if you're feeling really stuck on one particular ask, it can help to just shift the conversation into a different gear for a little while. Another thing that you mentioned when you were, when you're sharing about writing the book is that after Oscar seizures began, well-meaning people would often say something like, God never gives you more than you can handle. Uh, that, that old adage that we hear quite a bit in times of suffering. But in your book, you write to the reader that I assure you, he most certainly does. He usually does this because it's the most expedient way to communicate the one insurmountable truth. None of us is meant to endure the trials of this life alone. For those who are listening, myself included, who hate asking for help and who squirm at the vulnerability that admitting that I do not have it all together requires. Do you have any advice for how to humbly allow God and others to accompany and serve us in difficult situations, but also the seasons of life that are just hard? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was me and it still is me. Um, and it's another example of one of those things that you just have to do over and over again. It takes practice, um, but you have to start by being honest about what you're going through. Um, it's really hard to be vulnerable. And it's hard to admit that you can't do everything alone. I think, especially if you're really trying to live a devout Orthodox Christian life, you you kind of get caught up in this ideal of the Proverbs 31 woman who can do everything on her own. And, and sometimes you just can't. So there was a beautiful moment in our pilgrimage that I talk about in the book when we were praying Stations of the Cross. And the priest leading the meditations pointed out how galling it must have been for Jesus not to be able to carry his own cross. And I had never thought about that before, that Jesus knows that pain too, the pain of not being able to handle things on your own. Um, so you don't necessarily need to just unload your life story to anyone who asks, but you know who the people are in your life who can handle an answer that's longer and more complicated than I'm fine. And it's so it's really hard to get past that sometimes, but I have found that people really do want to meet you in that moment. Um, on the flip side, for the people who are offering, I really hate the question, how are you? And in a very close second is the question, what do you need? So if you're the one on the offering end, it really helps if you can try to be specific. So can I bring you a meal? Do you want to meet for coffee? Can I come do some of your laundry for you? Just pick your favorite work of mercy whatever your particular charism is, and offer that particular thing. Um, and then hopefully the person on the receiving end can just say yes or no without the pressure of having to specify exactly what would be most helpful. Because I think that's one of the things that keeps us from asking for help. If you're really in the trenches and you're really in the weeds, it's hard to think about what you need. It's hard to prioritize because you're just underwater. So I would encourage the people on the receiving end to say yes to the offers as often as you can. Um, even if they're not ideal, and allow your brothers and sisters in Christ to wash your feet, so to speak, like try to give their love a place to land. When you talk about the specificity of the offer, it reminds me of a story that I had read years ago about a man who always would shine the shoes of people in his life who he knew were grieving. That's beautiful. Oh, where he knew they were going to go to a funeral mass and you knew that like kids' shoes were going to be smattered in mud or <laughs> to finally drag them out of the closet that they've been hiding in, they were going to be in need of some yeah. repair. And so he always shined their shoes and it was something that no one thought of until it would be too late. And that was his one small gift that oh, people could receive. That is the perfect example. And I love that. And I think too, 
being able to, to offer somebody is a friend that I know uh, always offers like a multiple choice, like two choices. I can either mm-hmm. drop Chick-fil-A off at your porch and not talk to you, or I can bring over this meal that I've made and we can chat and what whatever's the most mm-hmm. helpful. And I think really being able to take all of that decision fatigue off of someone's shoulders who is in the trenches is such a gift that I've have experienced on the receiving end that makes all the difference and makes those questions like, what do you need? So you don't even have to worry about those, those conversations, which is right. a blessing. Yes. Well, and, and I think there's a vulnerability in the offering too, because like the, the shoe shining example, you know, you want to be the person who's offering a gift that is really from your true self. And so whether, you know, I'm not necessarily the person who loves to make home-baked goods, but my daughter is, but I'm happy to make a meal or I'm happy to pick up kids. And and I think that there's a real beauty in choosing the thing that that God has given to you as a gift and using having that be the thing that you're that you're bringing forward into the community. Yes, yes. And then it makes it so much more of an authentic interaction with someone mm-hmm. who you love mm-hmm. because it's, yeah, you're giving it from your heart, from your own set of gifts. Yes. At your first Lord's Pilgrimage, you're going to have to pronounce this name of this archbishop because in my head, it's probably not what it is. Cordelione, I think. Archbishop Cordelione of San Francisco. So he talks about how it's natural to reach a point in our lives where we think my faith is not equal to this situation. And it is at that point where we can draw from our lady's faith. So in your own story, where you've discovered that your faith is not equal, how has growing in relationship with our lady helped you to carry that load? Yeah. Yeah. That moment was a jaw dropping moment for me. I think I hadn't realized until he said that how scary it was that my faith just shattered the way that it did, you know, and I had plenty of other scary things to deal with. And so that one was kind of on the back burner, but I, oh my goodness, I am just so grateful to the blessed mother. I'm so grateful to her. Um, it's like in a family, if you're having a hard time with dad, then you go talk to mom instead. <laughs> and, and I could talk to Mary about what I was going through even after I was no, really no longer on speaking terms with God, the father or God, the son. Um, she's just so fully human. And so she knows our sorrow. She knows every sorrow of every size, but her own faith is perfect where ours is not. And we can take her, all of our skinned knees and our broken hearts and our shattered dreams. And she just sees us in our woundedness and she knows us there and she loves us there and just rushes out to pick us up and carry us right back to Jesus. So I think it was almost like a one-two punch in that moment where the archbishop uttered this phrase, which so perfectly captured my spiritual reality in that moment, and then handed me a solution in the same breath. There's a really lovely image in the St. Louis de Montfort Marian consecration, where he talks about allowing ourselves to be formed in Mary's womb, metaphorically speaking. And I didn't put these, these two things together until much later. But the idea is that, you know, Christ himself was formed in Mary's womb and he left his pattern there. He left a mold there, he left an imprint. And I found that really comforting. Um, I, had, I had done a Marian consecration every single year until that year when, it, when things really fell apart. So it was really comforting when I was struggling to think that I didn't need to do anything anymore. You know, I didn't need to do anything more than an unborn child does. I just needed to be still and to rest with Mary and to let her love and her faith work on me until I was put back together again and ready to be with Jesus again. It was kind of like a spiritual incubator. (laughs) And that invitation should just be, I think, as a 
type A controlling organizer, when I mm-hmm. encounter a problem, my first reaction is, okay, what do I need to do in order to fix this so that it can go along the way that I had planned? But this invitation to simply be and rest, which really flies in, in the face of what our culture tells us to do when we do encounter problems, is just a really good mm-hmm. reminder. You know what you said? It just made me think of um, being in labor and how you can either try to outrun the contractions, <laughs> like you try to do them for yourself. Um, but for me, the labors have always been most successful when you just kind of let it wash over you. And I think there's something to that in times of suffering too. We want to we wanna fix it. We want to figure out the medical solution. We want to figure out the logistical solution. We want to figure out the prayer solution. We think if we can just pray these prayers in the right order at the right time, it's like pulling a lever and it's just not. There are moments where we have to just be in the suffering and ideally let someone else be there with us and then just wait it out. And it, and it stings. <laughs> like It's really hard to do that. But there's, you know, there's a power in letting it wash over you like that and letting yourself kind of be carried and be accompanied through the wave. What you're talking about reminds me of this image of Christ in the agony of the garden where mm-hmm. he doesn't want to suffer or this isn't what he would pick and then resigning and surrendering to the will of the father and how he has, like there's an angel there who accompanies him and, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not what he would have picked and it's not what he wanted. And so right. like be existing in that suffering, which ultimately leads, leads to our redemption is just this reminder again to, yeah, like, like everything that you've said in our conversation together to surrender and, and open yourself up to the help of others. And, and like you pointed out earlier, Christ had to surrender to that over and over again. He fell and fell and fell. And he had to decide again to pick it up and get back to it. And I think that's another really powerful lesson for us that just because you decide to surrender once doesn't mean you're home free. <laughs> there is something that we mentioned in your bio and we've mentioned it in our conversation that I'd like to just orient people to a little bit. So the pilgrimage that you took to Lourdes with Todd, your husband, and Oscar, your son was organized by the Order of Malta. This is an order that I did not know existed until mm, three years ago. And I have been Catholic my entire life. <laughs> I'm always discovering things that I don't know, which is glorious. I love that about Catholicism. But for those who are also thinking, what in the world? What is the Order of Malta and what makes it unique as a lay order? The Order of Malta was founded during the time of the Crusades, actually. So it's over 900 years old. And it was founded um, to take care of sick and injured pilgrims who came to the Holy Land. So the founder, whose name was Blessed Gerard, he ran a hospital in Jerusalem. And that foundation gave rise to the two primary charisms of the order, which are still the charisms today. Um, So one is to defend the faith and the other is to take care of the poor and the sick. And that's pretty much it. Like that's all they do. So one of the things that makes the order really special is that it's a sovereign entity. So they have independent status at the UN. They maintain that status so that they can do their medical and humanitarian work worldwide, um, kind of similar to the Red Cross, but it lets them get in and out of countries that um, other aid organizations can't always do if they're tied to a particular nation state. The order even today is really uniquely dedicated to getting their hands dirty in service, and it has been since the earliest days. So today um, it's comprised of both professed knights and lay members. So there are actual religious members of the Order of Malta. Um, And then there are thousands and thousands of volunteers worldwide. So my husband Todd and I are actually both members now. He's a knight and I'm a dame. And the Lord's Pilgrimage is one of their major efforts every year. Um, So every May, every association in the world that is able to do so brings sick pilgrims, which they call malads, 
two lords on the same weekend. When we went in 2017, I think something like 44 countries or associations were represented and they brought thousands of malads along with thousands of clergy, doctors, nurses, members, and volunteers to take care of all those malads, um, of which Oscar was one. That's incredible. I love how you write about in the book too, where people have this interaction with the order, especially with the Lord's Pilgrimage, where they go seeking healing and then they come back as a volunteer healed or not um in in different capacities that is so beautiful to see that gift and then like (laughs) to come back and give that gift to others was beautiful to see that happening reciprocally todd and i say all the time that the order changed the course of our lives and that's it's really not an overstatement and it's impossible for us to say it enough um to, to really get the point across the beauty of the lord's pilgrimage in particular is just how happy everyone is to be there and everyone is in service to each other. Um, even Oscar had a service to do there. And it was like at this little foretaste of heaven, almost like all the Malads were just embraced and loved in all kinds of conditions and in all kinds of bodies. And we were all invited to participate in whatever way felt comfortable. And whenever there were any bumps or hardships or someone needed some accommodations, then there were people everywhere who were willing to smooth them over. I mean, it's like someone dropped a pen and four people would bend down to pick it up. <laughs> it was just the absolute best example of life in Christian community that I have ever, ever witnessed. It was, you know, everyone together, everyone offering their particular gifts, everyone being honest about what needed healing and, and what didn't, because they really loved Oscar exactly as he was from the very first moment that we arrived. And that was very healing for me to see that and to experience that and to to see him through their eyes instead of through the medical eyes and the sad mom eyes that I'd been using. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. So so Oscar's condition improves after you visit Lourdes, which you write about in the book. Mm-hmm. And you also write about something that really struck me while reading your story is that the real healing happened between you and Todd. And I loved kind of having a foretaste of that, just reading the back of the book and then diving into it and seeing the way that you communicated with each other, the way that you write about your relationship shift as you experience healing at Lord's and then after as you unpack that experience. Could you share a little Mm -hmm. bit more about the healing that your marriage experienced and how that healing has impacted your life as a Catholic wife from the time since you've been on pilgrimage back in 2017? Yeah, honestly, healing in our marriage wasn't even on my radar (laughs) when I took the pilgrimage. And it's so interesting to me now that that piece of the story has resonated very strongly for a lot of people. Um, But that's not why I went. You know, we were living in separate worlds and we each had such a different individual response to Oscar's illness and disability. Like we couldn't even talk about it without fighting. And so we just stopped talking altogether. And we were basically living as roommates for a year. Even after we got to Lourdes, I I would say we spent the first half of that pilgrimage kind of cohabiting the same general space, but without really being together. Um, So that was the thing that shifted toward healing almost immediately is that we were able to just inhabit the same spaces again and just start talking about anything literally anything so we started with the easy stuff um there was a date night that we had while our team was babysitting oscar and we literally started with things like so what are you gonna order and (laughs) hey can you believe this weather (laughs) like that is where we were at (laughs) um and that date was the first real date that we'd had in months. Over the course of the rest of the week, we were able to kind of tiptoe into some harder topics while we were still there in Lourdes. 
while we were still surrounded by this really supportive community of volunteers, um, we had a chance to be in conversation with other parents who were going through what we were going through. And those little bits of conversation, um, sometimes it was to each other, but sometimes it was to other people. I would say something while Todd was listening, or he would say something while I was listening, and he wasn't talking to me, but I still heard it. And it was something that wouldn't even have been given a voice at home. Those were kind of baby steps that we could continue even after we came home from the pilgrimage. I will always be so grateful and really astonished that we even got to take the trip together. Um, I don't think there's any way I could have come home and explained to Todd <laughs> what had happened on that pilgrimage or vice versa, right? Like God really got to work on reshaping both of us at the same time so that the edges, uh, like the rough, <laughs> the rough, rocky, sandy edges would, would fit together more perfectly. The way that it's continued to play out since then, um, as I mentioned, you know, we've had a really, another really hard year as a family. And in a lot of ways, it kind of felt like the final exam, <laughs> everything that we learned about marriage and Lord's was like, okay, those were all the warm-up exercises. Let's try it for real this time. We definitely had some painful flops this year, but overall, I think our entire approach to the conversation and our approach to the challenges um, and all of our attempts at connection were very, very different from what was going on five years ago. So this time it was still really hard and sometimes, frankly, not very beautiful, <laughs> but we kept turning in toward each other instead of away from each other, even when it was really awful and really raw to do that. So it was another kind of miniature lesson in community that instead of hiding our wounds and trying to do it ourselves, we had to be vulnerable. We had to keep revealing what was hurting to each other and we had to keep asking for help. Um, and it turns out it's every bit as hard to do that with your husband as it is with the rest of your community. <laughs> Amen. But I think it plays back into this conversation we've been having on surrender that it's not usually just, oh, we went through this hard right. thing and it was great. And then now we came back from Lord's and everything is easy. It's, oh, things got oh, no. more challenging and we yes. still had the opportunity to choose each other and to choose to turn towards each other in those moments of challenging versus walking away without acknowledging what the other is right. experiencing. So yeah, that kind of lifetime of choosing to love. We have really had some of the hardest conversations of our entire married life this year. And the fact that I really feel like our relationship is in better place now because of it speaks volumes to the healing that we, that we um, experienced in Lords. There's just, there is no possible way we would have survived 2021 if we hadn't learned as much as we learned in Lords. Wow. We are scratching the surface about the beauty of the experience of Lords that you share in the book, Oscar's journey, you and Todd's marriage, among many, many other things. For listeners who are hearing your story and want to learn more about it, where can they find a copy of your new book, Awakening at Lourdes, How an Unanswered Prayer Healed Our Family and Restored Our Faith? And where can they find you online after this conversation? So the book is available directly from Ave Maria Press. Um, and you can also find it at all your favorite online booksellers. So I like bookshop.org for independent bookshops, but it's also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And the best place to find me is at christywilkins.com. And that's Christy with a C-H and a Y and Wilkins with an E. <laughs> I have one of those names I have to spell every time. On Facebook, I'm Faithful Not Successful, um, which is the name of my personal blog. And then on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else, I'm C-S-A Wilkins. Wonderful. So the last question that I have for you this evening is the one that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast. And it's the <laughs> one that we're going to close out our conversation with this evening. And it's this, Christy, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life, especially as a woman who's learning to inhabit your own brokenness, fully embrace your sons 
and use them both to be with and help others who are also suffering. We obviously have been talking a lot about surrender. Um, and, I, and I spoke a little bit at the beginning about living in that tension between God's providence and this earthly life that has so many sorrows in it. So to me, that's really crucial to the feminine genius and the way I live it out in the world, because in the very act of bringing life into this world and in our participation as co-creators with our Heavenly Father, we are mingling sorrow and joy and life and death in that moment of, of um, growing and bearing children. I think that, you know, the veil between heaven and earth is really thin in that childbearing space. But then somehow we get caught up in the in like the ordinary everyday raising of these children and we kind of teach ourselves to forget that. And Oscar has really taught me how to live my daily life with that memento mori mindset right at the center, um, trying to keep our whole family's eyes just fixed on heaven. Because Oscar is exactly who God created him to be and his path to heaven is completely secure. So my prayer practice now is more focused on surrendering to each moment that God has planned for my day. Um, even when those moments really aren't beautiful or easy, I was really hard on myself five years ago, but I was still offering God that little tiny widow's night of faith that I had left. And so I can look back on that version of myself and give her a little more credit than she gave herself. But I think there's something to that ability to just hold space for the, for the tension. And that's something that we've lost in the modern developed world. We're always we're used to feeling like we have a lot of control over a lot of things, but really we're all always walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's just, we don't usually realize it or think about it, but the only way to get through that valley is to go through it together. And there's something that is just so, so unimaginably good on the other side of that valley if we can get there. Christy, that's so good. That encouragement to stay in that tension, because you're right. I think the kind of gut reaction is to, no, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. I'd rather I'd rather be anywhere else. So <laughs> this I'm is going not a to valley. La, la, la. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Yes. So this is good. This is such a good reminder. And I love that. Yeah. In childbirth and and, and labor, it, it is so much more, it's been so much more easy for me to connect with the Lord and the Blessed Mother in those moments. Mm -hmm. than the daily trudging trenches with a two-year-old and and a family life and all the things and so yeah just this reminder that that isn't something that's this one-time experience but something to tap into on the regular during right. during this this journey of motherhood and maternity that's wonderful thanks for coming on the show this has been delightful it's been so good to get to know you thank you so much i had so much fun Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Letters to Women podcast. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Christy over at letterstowomenpodcast.com. You'll find them on the homepage, or you can just scroll down to browse through links to check out resources that we mentioned in the show, like where to pick up a copy of Awakening at Lourdes and how to find Christy online. You can also find a link to browse the lovely Lady Linens and remember to use the code LTW15 at checkout to receive 15% off your order. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And if you know a woman, maybe she's in your small group at church, or maybe she's your sister or your best friend from college who's wrestling with unanswered prayers, could you send this episode her way? If the conversations that you hear on the Letters to Women podcast are something that you love recommending to a friend and you're an Apple podcast listener, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast. Your comments help me shape future episodes, uh, which is especially fun as we're getting into the 2022 year and looking ahead for what is to come for Letters to Women. But they also help other Catholic women who are browsing and looking for a new podcast know about what you love about the show. 
You can follow the podcast on Instagram at letters to women underscore podcast. I'm on there a lot less um, after my conversation with Jessamine Frayne, which you can go back in the archives and listen to this idea of stepping back and being rooted in the present moment. So I have not been on Instagram as much, but there is something really fun coming down the pipes that I'm going to be getting back on Instagram for, which is the end of the year letters to women giveaway that kicks off on January 1st, which is just a couple weeks away. That's crazy. It is going to feature a, a ton of prizes and a ton of winners. And the prizes are from women who've joined me on the show the past year. So things like a coffee mug from the women over at Fanbase, a copy of Nicole Caruso, worthy of wearing copy of Meg Hunter Kilmer's Saints Around the World which is hands down one of my favorite books um, that I have read with Maeve this year plus there's going to be a signed copy of the new Letters to Women book and I'm going to treat the winner to a cup of coffee like you can't win a Letters to Women podcast giveaway without a cup of coffee I'm going to be sharing all the details over on Instagram in my email newsletter which you can get on over on my website and here on the podcast after Christmas so keep an eye out That's all I have for today's episode. And I'm not going to be back in your podcast feed until after Christmas. So no, I'm praying for you and that the rest of your Advent is restful and that your Christmas season is joyful. And until next time, be not afraid.